Hey everyone, this is Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thank you for joining us in our Cultivate podcast, where we kind of look at some different issues with the Bible and try to answer tough questions. We've been working our way through theology. We've been kind of learning some Bible study methods, talking about different Bible verses that get used out of context or whatever. But for the next several episodes, we're going to start a new little mini series. And what I want to be able to do over the next several episodes is to help us be able to frame the Bible in its historical context. I don't know if you know this, but if you're looking at the 66 books of the Bible, they're not in chronological order. There are some that are where they're, you know, the historical order is completely out of place, or there's some that tell the same stories multiple times, like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Obviously, that's not in chronological order. You, you restart the story four times. There's some a place in the Old Testament that does the same thing, and a lot of the prophets, you don't necessarily know where they are. And I think too often, too many of us, we just don't really understand or know kind of the the big picture chronological story that happens in the Bible. And so then, especially when we are reading the Old Testament, or maybe we're reading something in the New Testament that references a time period in the Old Testament, we don't really know where it fits in the big picture. And we don't, we, we, and, and because of that, because of not really understanding the context or the, just kind of the thread of the story of the Bible, it really becomes a hindrance in our personal understanding, our personal Bible study, and can just become a real hindrance in us really appreciating what's really happening in a lot of these stories. And so I think that it's important for us as we are growing in our faith, as we are, as we are growing in our understanding of God's word, that we be able to put the Bible in kind of a, an historical order. And for us to be able to understand kind of who the main characters were, we, we recognize, we hear these names and we know them, Moses, Abraham, Noah, maybe Elijah, King David. We know these names, but do we understand the different time periods that they fall into, kind of what their role is and kind of the ongoing story that the Bible is telling? And so there are a lot of different tools out there, a lot of different types of breakdowns that people use to kind of help try to put the Bible, try to frame it a little bit for us. There are a lot of them out there, and I, I recommend plenty of them. But what we're going to do today is based on one that I heard, you know, it was probably 26, 27 years ago, is when I was on staff with a college ministry, and we actually came up here, I was living in Conway, we came up here to Northwest Arkansas to meet with uh, Dr. Robert Cup, who was the lead pastor or the directional leader, teaching pastor at Fellowship Northwest Arkansas. And he had developed a curriculum that is still in use today uh, in a lot of different ways at Fellowship Northwest Arkansas, and a lot of churches are using it. And it's called the Panorama of the Bible. And in the panorama, in the panorama of the Bible, we have 12 different sections that help us kind of progress chronologically through the Bible. And so what we're going to do again for the next 12 episodes is we're going to work our way through these 12 different sections. We're going to talk about the main Bible stories that come from these, the main characters that come from these on the, on, on the times that we have time, maybe kind of address some of the, the challenging questions that come. What sections of the Bible are we talking about here? And so we're going to work our way. And so hopefully after 12 weeks, you continue to come back, I encourage you to keep coming back over the next 12 weeks and continue to listen to these episodes. 
And hopefully over the 12 weeks, we'll have just a, a better grasp of the, of the big picture story of the Bible. So we've got these 12 sections, and the first one that we're going to be looking at today is called the prologue. Prologue's fancy literature term. Basically, it's kind of the intro. If you are a Star Wars fan, maybe just think of it as kind of the opening crawl to the entire story. Like you're, you're entering into a universe. You're entering into a world. You're enter, entering into a story. And like, what is going on here? Who, who are the main players? What's the idea? What's the conflict? And, you know, maybe it, a different movie, a different TV show or whatever will have a narrator. Again, mostly joking. You got Star Wars always be this text that scrolls. that kind of places where you are in a context. And so in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 through 11, Genesis 1 through 11 acts as kind of a prologue for the big picture story. Kind of the, the main conflict, the main issues, the main people uh, of the Old Testament, the Jewish people, they don't really exist yet. And so when we get to Abraham, which will be in the next section, which kind of sets the history, the beginning point of the history of the Jewish people, which is you know, the rest of the Old Testament, you know, that happens in Genesis chapter 12 is when we meet him. This essentially is kind of setting, again, it's kind of setting the stage for all of that of what is the big idea here? What is the conflict that's going on here? What is this big, long 66 books, you know, into one book? What is the story here? Who are the main characters? What is the conflict? And so we see from the very beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one, we, we, we get a, an, an immediate intro into who the main character is in the beginning, God, that's where the book, that's where Genesis starts. It's where the Bible starts. It's the, it's the big picture. It's that he's the number one main character of this book in the beginning, God, before there was anything else, before there was any. Jewish nation before there were any people before there was anything, anything in the very beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we establish here from the very beginning in the first verse of Genesis chapter one, that the main character who this story really is about is about God. And we recognize from this very first verse that everything that, you know, as we understand that the Bible is going to tell us about the world, it's going to tell us some history, it's going to talk to us about us and who we are, what we're supposed to do, that everything that we consider important and valuable and everything that is a part of this world is subjugated to God. It is part of his creation. In the beginning, before there was anything, there was God. And everything that you see and everything that you experience, he created. In the beginning, God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so as we work our way through these first 11 chapters, the, the stories that we are going to encounter, many of which I'm sure are familiar to us, is first, of course, the creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of creation. We have the story of him creating over six days. We see him creating light. We see him creating the earth, we hear him creating waters in the sky. We see these things in the first three days. And in the second three days, he fills these things with, with animals and plants and fish and birds and ultimately with people. And then on the seventh day, he rests. And then in Genesis chapter two, we get another version of the creation story, not to say that they are somehow 
contradictory in any way, but just a different kind of a, like a, a zoom in on who, who, when God created people and we get introduced into Adam, the first person that God created. And then ultimately Eve, the second person that God created, that God created Eve for Adam. So we have the story of the creation of the first two people, Adam and Eve. And then immediately after that, in Genesis chapter three, we have the story of the fall. We get the story with the snake and the snake trying to get Eve to eat the apple and Eve eats the apple and then Adam eats it and then sin falls into the, comes into the world. And they immediately notice that they're naked and they're embarrassed and they're shamed. They hide from God and God comes in, punishes everybody. Then we go from there to the story of Cain and Abel, the, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And we have in, the very, in just the second generation of people on the earth, we have the world's first murder. Uh, where Cain kills his brother Abel. From there, we move into the very complex story of Noah and the flood that comes over the whole earth and God making the covenant with the rainbow. We'll come back to some of these. We're just kind of doing a fast overview here. The story of Noah that ends in a very weird way with him uh, naked and drunk from a vineyard that he just planted. That's the part of the story that I don't care what Sunday school you went to growing up. Nobody's trying to talk about Noah being naked in his tent drunk. So we have that story, and then we transition from that to the story of the Tower of Babel, where God has told everyone to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth, but instead of doing that, they've clumped together in one place, and rather than being filling the world with worship, they clump together in one place, and we they build this tower as a monument to themselves, and God scatters them all over the world. And so, again, your main stories there, creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Tower of Babel. And so we get all of these stories before we get introduced into, again, who the, the, the Jewish people would consider in the Old Testament, really kind of your main character, kind of the, the origin story of, of how the Jewish nation came to be, which is through Abraham, which will, who will get, will meet in Genesis chapter 12. And so the starting point for who the Jewish people are and their relationship with God is just the next chapter over. I mean, it's, it's some time in the future. And so what do we have? What, what then is the function of these first 11 chapters? We've got all these stories and all of this time being put before we get to the Jewish people and the, and, and the country that is started by God's calling and choosing of Abraham. So again, as, we, as, as I mentioned, what we have is a prologue, an intro. We learn first and foremost through these 11 chapters that the main character of this story is not Abraham, it's not King David, it's not the Jewish people at all. The, the, the main character of this story, this story is God's story. And, and what we are learning about in these first 11 chapters is who, who God is, who, who is he? And so we, what we learn about God through creation, what we learn about God through his relationship with Adam and what God wanted for Adam with Eve and the way that God reacts to the fall, the way that God reacts in the flood, the way that God reacts to the Tower of Babel. This story, these stories are primarily an introduction to us about who this God is. And with that, as the, the next characters in line, it's not necessarily any one of those particular people that somehow Noah or Adam or the people of the Tower of Babel are main characters in this story. Uh, 
But in the same way that we are introduced to God, we are introduced to people and the problem that people seem to have. And so we see from the very beginning that God had given Adam and Eve everything and just restricted them in one place. You can't eat fruit from this one tree. And then what seems like, we don't, we're not ever really said, but what seems like a pretty short amount of time, they go immediately to that tree and they, and they take it. They take, they, they, they have a, a selfish kind of self-focused um, view rather than a, a God-honoring focus. And then you go immediately from that to Cain and Abel, and we see this problem just continuing to multiply where they are supposed to be giving kind of these big sacrifices to God, which Abel does, but Cain just kind of is half-hearted about it. And, and as such, God isn't really that fired up about it. And he really blesses Abel, but doesn't look very favorably on Cain. And again, the jealousy of Abel having something that Cain doesn't have, again, this, this anger just leads him to kill his brother. And then we see, by the time we get to Noah, it says that all sorts of evil everywhere has spread to the point to where God says, I regret my involvement with this altogether. And then you move to the Tower of Babel, same kind of deal. God has said, what I want is I want my world, I want, I want this world to be full of worship. I want this, I want you guys to, to go to every square inch of this place and I want you to fill it. I want you to experience it. I want you to experience this creation that I've given to you. I want, I'm giving this to you and I want you to experience it. But rather than following God, they focus on themselves. We just see this pervasive selfishness taking what I want kind of, we see a lot of jealousy. We see a lot of just satisfying of yourself. And so we've got the main character, God. We've got this creation that he's dealing with that just seems to have this obsession with, with selfishness, with, with taking. And they have this, this, this horrible attitude. And so we set this conflict that even before the Jewish nation exists, obviously thousands of years before we see Jesus, the problem has been set. And it has been a problem almost from day one of we've got a good God, a good, generous, creative God, and we've got a group of people that just can't seem to shake their own selfishness. And so then the question that is, that, that is, that is asked, or at least needs to be asked, is what is God going to do about this? What is God going to do about it? And we see him do different things in the different small stories from Genesis 1 through 11. And in each one of the ways that he deals with each one of these situations, we learn a little bit more about God. But we understand just in this kind of short, compact 11 chapters with these four or five really important foundational stories, we see this conflict. God has created a world. He has generously shared it with people. These people have rebelled against him and chosen selfishness rather than a pursuit of God. What is God's attitude going to be towards these people? I think we see in this prologue that it is, it is God's desire to both connect with people, but also to shape them into becoming people who are less selfish 
and more focused on generosity, more focused on worship of God. And so basically this question gets asked, we see these little bits of answer, which ultimately then is going to set the stage for the rest of the Bible. And we will see um, the introduction of Abraham and the covenant that he is going to make with this people in order to restore this group of people to, in order to give them relationship with God in order to them, for them to be a blessing to the whole world, to see then what a connected relationship with God can look like, what the benefits are of that, which then obviously then sets the, the stage um, for Jesus several thousand years later, several books later um, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the son of God who comes down himself to, to reconcile the world. So we've got a world that's broken. We've got a people that are broken and a God that loves deeply, who is wanting to reconcile this world, to heal this world, to heal these people and to bring them to himself. And we see that introed in Genesis 1 through 11. And so again, we get all these glimpses and and this full picture of who God is and how he wants to respond to us in Genesis 1 through 11. We see uh, the, the mercy of God and they are in, in, in the fall, even though they are punished, we see this great mercy of God um, that in, in him making the clothes for, for Adam and Eve, he, he, he casts them out of the garden. And so we see this blended picture of his kindness and his grace. And at the same time, his punishment, then you move to, um, the story of Cain and Abel. He's obviously very upset with Cain and he is punished. But again, we see the kindness of God and not immediately inflicting this punishment of, of taking his life from him. And then you get to the story of Noah where things get just a little bit weird, where suddenly his response is essentially to wipe out all of the world except for Noah and his family. And so we can focus on the negativity of that and, and the fear that comes from that and kind of what it seems like to be a very wrathful God as God is responding to this overwhelming sin in the world, which we can't ignore. We don't want to overly soften God to where we just like, yeah, don't notice that. We see in God a hatred of sin, that it is repulsive to him, that it is disgusting to him. And that it really does. Sin is not just a, oh, come on, buddy, you can do better. But it is something that is really, again, just very upsetting to God. It is, it is repulsive to him. It is essentially is an attack against him. And we see his wrath come out in the story of Noah when he, when he essentially wipes out all of the population except for Noah and his family. But the way that that story ends The way that that story ends is by him making this covenant with Noah to say, hey, um, but I'm never going to do, I'm never going to do this again. And to backtrack just a little bit from the moment in which God declared, I'm going to wipe out the world. There was 120 years from the moment that God said he was going to do this to the point that he did it. He gave He didn't give them a week's warning. He didn't give them a month's warning. He didn't give them a year's warning. He gave them 120 years worth of warning to say, I I need you back. I want you back. I want you to reconcile to me. So we have 120 years. I don't think we ever want to mistake. Like 
the, the wrath is in the middle. The punishment is in the middle, but we see the grace and the forgiveness and the patience of God on the front end and the covenant that he makes in the end to say that I'm not going to do this again. And then you end with the Tower of Babel. Again, in Genesis chapter one, God gives the people the mission. I want you to fill this world. I want you to fill and subdue this earth. I want you to spread out everywhere. Essentially a declaration by God that I want there to be worshipers of me experiencing my creation all over the world. And what would have happened in, in the natural course of history, if they had actually obeyed this, they would have spread out all over the world, different cultures, different languages would have formed. And ultimately then the world would have been full, multiple cultures, multiple languages, many different expressions of a lot of different people expressing worship towards God. But they chose to not do that and focus on themselves. And so God, quote, punishes them by spreading them out all over the world and giving them different languages, which in fact was not really meant to be a punishment. This was supposed to be the natural order of things because what God desires is the whole world to be full of diverse expressions of worship and love and devotion towards God. And so we see then through these stories, we begin to get a picture and a glimpse of who this God is and how he's going to react to this continued rebellion and problem of the selfishness and self-focus and lack of God-focus of people. He is going to be gracious. He's going to be, he's going to punish. He's going to be patient. And he is going to be focused on this goal, that the world be full of people who worship him. And we will see him I mean, I don't know if new strategy is the right thing to say, but we'll just say it anyway. We'll see this new strategy that he will build in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham um, in in our next episode, where we will see again, God expressing this great desire that all peoples everywhere of all cultures, all nations, that they be, that, that everywhere, all sorts of people be worshipers and followers of God. And he wants to reconcile these, the people, his people and peoples everywhere. He wants to reconcile them to himself. And so in Genesis chapter one through 11, we get the intro to that. We see we've got this incredibly awesome, creative, powerful God who loves his people. And we see a rebellious people who turn against him. And we see a patient and sometimes punishing God, desperate to try and restore uh, individuals, and the world back to him. And so then we will see as we continue on through the other episodes here, we were going to continue to see how this conflict is resolving what God is doing and how he is expressing his love and desire for reconciliation with his people. So again, I encourage you to come back. Um, I've, there's, there's a great podcast that uh, some, I know a lot of people at the Grove listen to called Bama, which basically takes Genesis 1 through 11. And I don't know, I mean, it's like 30, 40 episodes just, just going through that because it's, it's, it's incredible. And we are just taking a really um, kind of a big picture view of all of this. We're going to work our way through the whole Bible in 12 episodes. And so again, there's some great resources out there, books, podcasts that can kind of help you with the details, but we're going to spend some time just kind of going through this big picture. So I encourage you to come back next week uh, for our next episode. We'll talk about the patriarchs that will start with Abraham and kind of we'll see kind of the foundation and the creation of the Jewish people. 
Again, I'm Charlie Lofton, lead pastor of the Grove Church. Thank you so much for joining us. And we would love to see you on a Sunday morning at some point. You can find out everything you need to know about us and our services at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And we would love to see you on a Sunday. Or if you're not in Northwest Arkansas, you can find out information there too. And you can uh, stream our service. We're always streaming our 1030 service. And we would love to meet you either in person or online. And again, thanks for joining us.